Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. My longtime friend, Steve Berger, has lived a life of such unusual transitions that I've invited him today onto the Leader's Notebook to talk to you about hearing God and obeying. I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to the Leader's Notebook. I'm so glad you've joined me today. This is going to be an unusual interview today with a really interesting servant of God, Steve Berger. After having planted a church in Diamond Bar, California, pulled up stakes after four years and moved to the wild, wild east of Franklin, Tennessee, where he planted yet another church that became a huge mega church. Steve, welcome to the Leader's Notebook. Thank you, Dr. Rutland. It's a real honor to be with you all today. Thank you so much. Steve, what, I mean, I guess the easy answer is I heard from God. Mm-hmm. But was there something else involved in just uh, planning a church? I mean, Diamond Bar, California, I don't think of that as actually the, the center of the universe. And then you moved to Franklin, Tennessee, and not even Franklin, Leaper's Fork. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> these are... These, <laughs> You've been there plenty of times, you know, it's, it's out have, there in the wilderness. <laughs> so, so what was up with such a huge transition as that? You know, again, I think you said it exactly right, Mark. You have to hear from God, and I don't want to sound like I'm giving a canned answer. But ultimately, that's what all of our lives depend upon, is hearing what God says to do and obeying Him. You know, I I, I love and respect these guys who, you know, here's my five-year plan, and here's my 10-year plan. Mm. I always just wondered, like, God never seems to speak to me like that. God just always tells me, the next thing to do. Mm. And what I found out is if we'll just obey God and what he tells us, the next thing is you're going to find yourself living a successful, adventurous life. So don't, don't get discouraged by not feeling like God has downloaded some detailed five or 10 year plan for your life. Let's just do the next thing God says and the next thing God says and the next thing God says, and we're going to find ourselves being fruitful for his kingdom. So beautiful. I, I've followed that my whole life, Steve, and uh, you're not as old as I am by a long ways, but do you find, as I have, that your life seems to make more sense in the rearview mirror than it did out the windshield? No question. And I think we could look back in the scriptures and see how many people's lives made sense in the rearview mirror. You know, God starts off with Abram, right? Go to a land that I will show you. In other words, you start walking, you start obeying, and I'll start revealing. And then he's able to look back at the end of his life and go, man, this all makes sense. It's the same for us. We look at our lives through the rearview mirror and go, man, all that stuff I went through, all those trials, all those tribulations, things I wanted to get out of immediately, God was actually using to fashion and form me into the image of Christ so that I could handle what he's bringing me into tomorrow. So powerful. Uh, But then it gets practical. Now, let me just press you on one thing. So here you've planted a church. You're a California type of guy. Planted church, Diamond Bar, California. Let's be honest. the, The cultural gap between Diamond Bar, California and Franklin, Tennessee is pretty substantial. That that must have been an intimidating move. I mean, I know you've heard from the Lord, but it must have been intimidating. 
Yeah, we tell people it's a lot farther than 2,200 miles when mm. you go from L.A. to L.S., from yeah. Los Angeles to Leapers Fork. There's a cultural difference in distance there that, that had to be overcome for sure. But ultimately, um, what we found out in our experience, in our adventure, is when you operate in the fruit of the Spirit, I don't care what culture you go into, you might have some little adjustments to make here and there. But when you're exuding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, it is in and of itself a testimony that overrides any other kind of cultural barricades. Beautiful. So the, the Jesus culture, if you will, and I don't mean the recording company, but the Jesus culture transcends the limited cultural distinctions of a place like the Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles area, greater Nashville area, yeah. that there is a culture around Jesus and around the people of Jesus. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? I mean, anything that has to do with the Son of God and His power and His grace, it should triumph. It should trump any other uh, type of obstacle or barricade. So that shouldn't surprise us when it happens when we're out on adventure to find out that Jesus is working in us, for us, and through us to overcome so that his kingdom can be expanded. Mm. I mean, we'd be in real trouble if we went out there and he didn't provide something that was, uh, that in, enabled us to be overcomers, right? Yes. You know, this is not really a, an interview about church growth, but I can't resist myself asking what happened at Franklin. I mean, it, it exploded. I mean, yeah. certainly you were there 26 years and the, the time has something to do with it. Yeah. But, but something happened that that church exploded, became the fantastic mega church you built there. Yeah. Well, I would go back, Mark, even to, to Diamond Bar, you know, 1990, I'm 25 years old. Uh, we start in a living room and in less than two years, we have 1200 people showing up. Wow. Uh, so that's, that's pretty significant growth. I pastor that church for four years and then moved 2,200 miles where we don't know a soul out into the rolling hills of Tennessee. Now, we got there, Mark. It took four years for us to get to 150 people. It took another four years to get to 400 people. And then after eight years, when we finally got our own piece of property, we'd been in a school up until that point. That's when it really took off. So we were that overnight success that took eight years. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But the church in, in Los Angeles really was, uh, I mean, almost an overnight success. I, I don't yeah. guess after all the years we've been friends, I don't guess I ever realized the church in California got that far along. Yeah. That must have been, listen, I'm walking off and leaving a 1,200-member church in California. Uh, you better have heard from God. Yeah, all of our friends, all of our family, everything. We, we, we literally went to a place where we knew nobody, where it was out in the country. And, um, you know, we have looked back and, and Sarah and I, my lovely wife, you know, we've looked at each other and just went, what were we thinking? <laughs> exactly. We're in our late twenties. We've got three kids. We've got a fourth one on the way and we're moving 2200 miles where we don't know a soul like Jesus. You better show up here. Even if I didn't hear you right, I hope you make this right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear this level of honesty. I've prayed that prayer more than once. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Even if this wasn't your will, have mercy on me. 
That's right. I tried my hardest. (laughs) (laughs) And then eight years to pass 400. So you, you move halfway, well, almost all the way across the country. You, you leave 1200 and eight years later, you still only have a third of that many in an, in another state. Was there a moment where you said to yourself, I think I've made a mistake. Yep, I can tell you exactly when it was, and it was one year into this church plant. Mm-hmm. I've always sat in the front row during worship, and I've never really paid attention to how many people are behind me. After one year of doing this church plant, Dr. Rutland, I got up to speak after the last song. I turned around, and I was looking at the faces of nine people. Oh. oh. Nine people. I prayed one of those real prayers like we were just referencing and just said, God, you have to do something special for me today because I think I've made the biggest mistake in my life. We had people in California calling us constantly, come back, come back, come back. And it was attractive. Mm. God, please do something for me. After church was over, I stopped by a man's house who had been coming to church. He wasn't a follower of Jesus yet. He hadn't, hadn't met Christ yet. And he looked at me. And he just said, hey, I wanted you to stop by today because I just felt like I wanted to tell you this. I know that you left a bunch when you left California, friends, family, church, etc." He said, if for nothing else, God sent you to Leapers Fork, Tennessee for me. And that was all I needed to hear, Dr. Rutland. Wow. That was Jesus answering my prayer that day where I was at rock bottom thinking I had missed God. That one man who had not yet met Christ saying those words to me, I could have chewed up nails and, and spit lightning bolts. I mean, I was rip-roaring and ready Christ. to go. It's so, yeah, it so reinvigorated me for the call of Christ on our life there. And then years later, you know, here we go. It blows up and just this incredible campus that, again, you've seen and been at many times. Isn't it wonderful, God's grace, that he... He not only blesses the work and he increases the work and anoints the work, but he gives us personally that the, 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 the servant of God is not, God's not just using us as a plow to bust concrete. Yeah. He also ministers to us during the process yeah. of something as dramatic as that kind of church growth struggle. Yeah. Now this could be misunderstood, I guess, by some folks if they wanted to find some fault, but You know, Jesus said something interesting. He said, Father, the glory that you've given me, I've given them. And there's a a degree of glory. There's a degree of of honor and favor and refreshment of spirit that Jesus gives us when we're in his will. And it doesn't mean there's not challenges. You and I both have had significant challenges in Mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. But there is something that comes from the goodness of God that is glorious in nature, that helps sustain us, enliven us, anoint us, and stand us up the next day, pat us on the back and say, go get them, kid. Amen. Steve, I'm not really interviewing you today about the greatest tragedy of your life, but there's no way for us to just skate over it. Sometimes I think people look at you and Sarah and people like you and see the phenomenal success of planting two highly successful churches in two countries, almost California and Tennessee, and 
and they just think, boy, their life must be charmed. They must <laughs> never, they must never have had a hard blow, and they don't know about what happened with your son. No. If you take a moment and talk with us about that. Yeah. So we got that phone call that no parent ever wants to get. It was about 10 o'clock at night uh, on August 11th, um, 2009. And um, the, the operator on the other end of the phone said, um, there's been a horrible accident and make your way to Vanderbilt Medical Center right away. Now, because I've been a pastor for so long, I read through the lines. And mm. when I asked what the current condition was, when they don't tell you, that's never a good sign. They just say, get to the hospital. Yes. So three days later, literally on my son Josiah's 19th birthday, we honored his wishes to be an organ donor and we released him to heaven on his 19th birthday. Wow. We did it to honor him. We did it to save lives. Um, you know, I had a, you talk about a surreal conversation. I had a conversation on the phone with the chief neurosurgeon at Vanderbilt because he, uh, Josiah had suffered a, a, um, a massive brain injury. He, uh, he hit his head. Well, when he was in the car, single car accident. Anyway, um, I had that surreal conversation and I just said, sir, I, I need to ask you something right now. Is there somebody in Vanderbilt university right now that needs my son's heart? Well, you never want to have that conversation. Wow. And he said to me over the phone, he said, Mr. Berger, I've got a man who is 55 years of age. He's got five kids and five grandkids. He's got less than 24 hours. He's in perfect health, but his heart is a wash rag. He needs a heart or he's, or he's gone. So <laughs> what meaneth this? Wow. What, what, what do you say to that as a father who wants to honor his son's wishes to be an organ donor who is going to save lives in the process? And then you give a man permission. I know this is gross, but you need to understand this. No. You give a man permission to, to cut your son's chest open, to take his heart out of him so that someone else can live. Wow. It doesn't get any more real, sobering. Um, heartbreaking, no pun intended than that. Mm. So yeah, I've been through some stuff. I've been through some stuff. We've, I would say that we, we, uh, you know, when, when something like that happens, Dr. Rutland, you, you, you don't get over it. You go through it. And we've been going through it now since August 14th of 2009. We're coming up on 13 years and it, there's days where it was like it was yesterday. I know these two wonderful books came out of it, Between Heaven and Earth and then Have Heart, wonderful books yeah. that are so moving, so powerful. I, I love the, the book Have Heart. It's great. I really love Between Heaven and Earth. It was yeah. one, of the, one of the really moving books that I ever read. And, and I, I thought to myself, I wish every parent that has ever gone through a crisis of some kind like this, a loss, um, maybe even a, a spouse who's lost someone or a child, yeah. I wish they could read Between Heaven and Earth. And, and yet, what I really wish is that they would read it before they're going through it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because, you know, if we could use the athletic analogy, it's, it's not time to get in shape when the game starts, when the first whistle blows. You've got to get in shape before the challenge and the opposition 
mm-hmm. comes to the field. And our field is life. And the preparation is our time in prayer. It's our time in the word. It's our time in worship that prepares us for the field of life because there's going to be opposition that comes. And, um, you know, some of us don't learn that until we're in the blast furnace of opposition. And then we go, oh, my gosh, why didn't I prepare? It's too late to prepare when you're having that conversation with the chief neurosurgeon. You better have prepared and got in shape prior to that phone call. Steve, I appreciate so much what you're saying there. I think that it's true in, in life, it's true in marriage, and it's true in leadership. You 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 can't get ready for the, like you said, I, I love that phrase, the blast furnace of leadership. You can't get ready for that when the heat's on. You, you gotta, you've got to be prepared. Life is preparing you for the next level, and, and that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Amen. You know, your life, that's not your only adventure. That's not your only adventure. You leave California, you come to Tennessee, you build a megachurch, you're cruising. Mm-hmm. Why, why in the world another, uh, another adventure? God has given you favor in so many ways. You're on the executive and pastoral advisory board for Promise Keepers International. You're on the board of the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. And now God gives you a vision to influence influencers and you begin Ambassador Services International. Tell us about ASI and, and what that's all about. Yeah, so after 26 years of what, you know, the world would call successful pastoring and the big church and all the people and all that stuff, at 57 years of age, it was time for another adventure. And um, while I could have easily coasted and just rode off uh, into the sunset, um, I felt that God was calling us to do something else. So we stepped away from the church after a three-year transition and started Ambassador Services International in January of 2021. And what we do now is we minister to uh, elected officials, both uh, locally, um, state level, nationally, and in Washington, D.C., and then internationally with different uh, government leaders that I've met over the years. So it's expanding the kingdom of God in... uh, in a whole new atmosphere and in a whole new way. So it is an adventure indeed. God has uh, given you the ministry center right on Capitol Hill. I mean, you're you're reaching the people that are right in the corridors of power in this country and in the world. Absolutely. We, we kind of say it like this. We, we get invited into the very private lives of very public people. And that happens because you've conducted yourself in a way um, where you have um, respect, the respect and the regard of the people that you're talking to. They they know you to be a trustworthy person. They know you're confidential. They know you're not trying to take pictures with them and build your platform and do all of the trappings that so often happen in lives of, of Christian leaders. And so... Um, our work for the most part is, is very private, but it affects people who are very public people and who are responsible for policy. And so we're seeing the kingdom of God ushered into their lives, which then touches the life of the nation. Steve, I want you to know that for, for me, and I think for many people listening, it's such an encouragement to think that people who are voting on bills and 
dealing with huge international political and policy issues, people at the very peak of Washington, D.C. culture and power. It's very encouraging to think that they are even seeking someone with the profound spiritual input that you have and that they are finding you. That that really encourages us to know that that those people are not they're not impervious to the to the touch of God on their lives. Absolutely. And and people are shocked when I get up and tell them, you know, there are people in Washington right now. Take a congressman, for example. He makes $174,000 a year. He has to maintain two different residences and uh, he's not rolling in the money. Now, listen to this, Dr. Rutland. There are men and women in Washington, D.C. who sacrifice in order to follow God's call on their life. Because they feel that they need to be a, a, a gatepost. They, they need to be somebody who is anchored in Washington, D.C. in order to serve not only Christ, but this nation. Mm-hmm. They feel as called to that as I do to my own pulpit. And they, they give a lot. They sacrifice a lot. And sadly, the church has forgotten them. They blanket the whole thing with, oh, everything in Washington, D.C. is corrupt. Well, the problem with the church is we've bought into that line of reasoning. And then what happens is when the church pulls back, the kingdom pulls back, and then all of a sudden there's a void there. Well, guess who's happy to fill that void? Mm -hmm. The devil is. Of course. And so we have have relinquished our God-given scriptural responsibility to minister to and to speak into the lives of elected officials, to pray for them, to encourage them. We have forsaken that calling, and now our nation is paying the price. I want that territory back for the kingdom of God. It's not to say that there aren't people that are corrupt and self-serving and and everything else. It is to say that God still has people on Capitol Hill, and he needs people to minister to those people, and you're one of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, Paul, this this is a scripture everybody, every follower of Jesus needs to get this memorized. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through four. But first of all, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks uh, need to uh, need to be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we might live quiet and peaceable lives. For this is good and acceptable to God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. We need. We need to get that. Paul tells Timothy that, first of all, this is a place of priority and importance. We need to be praying for kings and all who are in authority. That's government officials. Why why don't we do that? Why why do we have a national day of prayer where, like, the first Thursday in May, we kind of get that, check that box, and then leave D.C. to hell for the rest of the year? No, we got to get engaged. First of all, he said, make it a priority. Pray for your elected officials. Encourage them. Love on them. Let them know that they're not standing by themselves. Steve, is there a way that people can find out more about ASI, about uh, Ambassador Services International? Is there a website or anything they should go to to find out more of what you do? If they'll go to Steve Berger, that's B-E-R-G-E-R, steveberger.org. Um, there's, there's a page there on Ambassador Services International, and uh, we, we'd love to um, talk to them, answer any questions they might have, encourage and inspire them to get involved. 
Um, you know, they can go to Facebook, Pastor Steve Berger, YouTube, Pastor Steve Berger, and they can find our teachings and resources there as well. And I urge you to do that. I urge you to to find out about this and pray for Steve and Sarah. God has put them in a place that is, a, that is to use his term, a blast furnace. I mean, the, when you step into this kind of a situation in Washington, D.C., and say, Lord, use me to touch, influence, and disciple people that are making huge decisions on a daily basis. I want to know that there are ways that congresspersons and senators can sit down with somebody, particularly Steve Berger, and say, look, I've got an issue in my life. Can you please pray with me? I want to know that Steve Berger's there. Thank you, Steve, so much for being there and taking this new challenge. Well, thank you, Dr. Rutland. Uh, you've inspired me greatly over the last 30 years. And uh, for sure, if there's anything good that God's doing in my life, you've had a hand in it by, by being my friend and inspiring me. And so I want to just encourage other people, be a blessing to someone else. Find someone younger than you and pour into their life like Dr. Rutland you have in mind, because you never know who you're touching that's then going to touch someone else. Wow. Thank you very much. Steve, there's one question I always like to close with. And uh, that is this, if you could speak to leaders, this is the title of my podcast is The Leader's Notebook. We cover a lot of waterfront with that, but I always try to ask this question. If you could speak to leaders everywhere, political leaders such as you do, or church leaders, business leaders, and you could speak to all of them at the same time, but you could only say one thing. What is the thing that you would say to, to the leaders of the world? Without question, the thing that I would say today, and I might not have said this 10 or 20 years ago, but today what I would say is you have to be a person of courage. Courage. It's interesting to me, Dr. Rutland, that in um, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, the first person who is mentioned who isn't allowed into heaven is a coward. Mm. The first person on the list is a coward. The coward has a higher place on the list of those who aren't in heaven than the murderer or the thief. Wow. Yeah. Courage. It, it is, as C.S. Lewis said, courage isn't one of the virtues. It is the form of every virtue at the point of testing. And so we need to be a courageous person if every virtue we say we believe in is going to be fulfilled in and through our lives. It takes courage because every one of those virtues is going to get challenged. God is serious about courage. He spoke it to Moses famously. He spoke it to Joshua famously. Be courageous, be courageous, be courageous. Another thing I would add to that very quickly is this. If you go through the entire book of Acts, 28 chapters, you will not find a single use of the word love in any form, Greek or English. The entire book of Acts, there's not one mention of the word love, but in every single chapter in the book of Acts, you'll find an act of courage. Wow. Courage is what we need today. I think we have used the word love to mean all kinds of stuff. I love you, but I won't defend you courageously. Uh, I think we need to capture, recapture what courageous love looks like for God and for one another. But without courage, this nation and the church, I'll say both, 
are going to be in serious trouble. We've got to get courage today, and it comes from being in God's presence. So powerful. Thank you, Steve. And and certainly, I've been in, inspired and impressed with the courage that God has given you, decision after decision, leadership movement after another, and now in a whole new place of influence. Thank you for being with me today on The Leader's Notebook, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure and honor, Dr. Etlin. God bless you. And thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad that you've joined me for this interview with Steve Berger. And listen to what he says, my friend. Pray that God will give you the boldness of the line of the tribe of Judah, that he will give you courage, the courage of your convictions and the courage to live your faith in the world that we live in. Thank you for joining me today. Until we meet again, this has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.